So we're continuing our study in 2 Timothy. Remember the situation that Timothy's there in Ephesus. He's a pastor. He's in a difficult situation. He's had that great temptation to shrink back, to not stand for the truth of God's Word, to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we've seen in this book of 2 Timothy, really over and over again to this point, is the call from Paul, the call from God, to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is that Timothy was to stand firm no matter the situation, no matter the opposition, no matter if people were to dislike him, no matter if he was even to be kicked out of that church. If he was to lose friends or family, the call from God was to stand firm and to suffer for his sake. And when we stand for His truth, I promise you this morning, you will suffer harm for it. But Jesus said that those who suffer in this life, while they might be last to the world that we live in, He said there will be a day where the last will be first. That is, the first will be brought low, the proud will be brought low, and the humble will be lifted up in Christ. And here in this morning's text, we're going to see that God has called us to be the humble, to be the last in this world, to be those who would suffer for His sake. And I must tell you that this message is so relevant in our day. Many might think, well, why why are we keep talking about this? We live in a free nation after all. We live in a society that accepts Christianity. We're not in the same situation that Paul was in. He was in prison because of his faith. They were hostile towards Christianity. His time is not like our time. This might be what we're thinking in our head as we come to this subject of suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I have to tell you this morning, we might have enjoyed a time like that in our nation where the light of the gospel, the light of the church of Jesus Christ, it pushed back the darkness and Christian persecution has basically been unknown to this nation. But if you think in our modern day, if that still exists, your head must be in the sand. Because we live in a day that if you love the truth of God's Word, you will be hated for it. The world out there around us will hate you for it. They'll call you a bigot. If you are just a faithful Christian, they'll call you a zealot. And many, and I have seen many, compare faithful Christians who just speak the truth of God's Word, they they compare us to radical Muslims. That is going on right now in our nation all over. Christians who say, no, we must follow the Word of God, we must live according to the Word of God, that Christ is the only way. We are being compared to those who strap bombs to themselves and go blow up buildings, who chop people's heads off, This is who Christians are being compared to in our nation. Simply by loving our neighbors enough to give them the gospel, we're being called radical zealots. This is the spirit of our age. This is the zeitgeist of our age right now. And I follow current events very closely. And I've seen people arrested in this nation for preaching the gospel in public. 
I've seen people arrested for standing peacefully in front of an abortion clinic. We have seen teachers fired for refusing to call a gender-confused child by their made-up gender rather than by what God has made them to be. We have seen children taken away from homeschool families because the state did not agree with what they were teaching their children. We have seen Christians banned from Facebook for sharing sermons about sin. We've seen many Christians censored on YouTube for speaking truth about abortion, homosexuality, and transgenderism. And we have seen Christians lose their businesses because they would not participate in a homosexual faux marriage. We live in a day that is increasingly hostile towards the truth of God's Word. And we have seen the insanity in this nation rise, where so many call what is evil good, and so many call what is good from God evil. We have seen a growing hatred, a growing animosity towards those who hold to biblical Christianity. Sin is celebrated right now in our culture in an extreme way. And if you do not celebrate what God clearly condemns, you will be villainized. They want complete allegiance. They want sin celebrated. And they have zero tolerance for any who would not. And you know, they claim to be people of tolerance, but that tolerance ends where biblical Christianity begins. But the call from Scripture is even in the midst of all that surrounds us, the pressures from this outside world, the call for the Christian is not to be a coward, it's not to be ashamed, it's not to be silent. It is to suffer for Him. It is to stand firm, to stand up for Christ. And if it causes you to suffer, so be it. God wants you to be bold in the faith. He doesn't want us to shrink back. He wants His true disciples, the true followers of Christ, to stand up for Him. Following Christ in this nation, in this time, it will cost you something. And I know as I preach this message, and really we've been on this subject for many weeks, it is an unpopular message. It's not often what we want to hear. But Jesus said that His servants, you and me, were not greater than Him. And I want you to think about His life this morning. He was despised for His message. And His message wasn't popular what was popular in his day is when he stood before the crowd to yell, Crucify him! He was so hated for the truth, he was so hated for what he spoke, that he was put to death for it. You know, we can struggle with sermons like this because in our American life, we'd rather just be comfortable. We'd rather not speak up. We'd rather just live our life, our American dream, lives. We would rather just forget sermons like this when we leave the door on Sunday. But I'm telling you this morning, God is calling us to something more. He's not calling us to be comfortable Christians. He's not calling us to be fair-weather Christians. He's calling us to something more. 
To be different than the status quo. To not be of the world, but to be His people that have been called out of the world. Who are zealous for Him, His ways, and His mission. And you know, as the nation, as we've seen this turn of events in our nation, we need to do it while we still can. While we are still free and able to go forth, to go out into our communities and tell people about Christ, where we're still able to declare this good news, we must do it. But you know, God never said that we would do this alone. And this is exactly what he says to Timothy. This is what he says to Timothy right there in verse 1. So Timothy, he's struggling. He's struggling to be faithful. He doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't want to go through this hard time. He's struggling to honor the Lord, but Paul gives him the solution right here in verse 1. It says there, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Strengthened by grace. You know, there's a common teaching out there in our day, and it's very popular. And that teaching basically says that you are enough. You've got this. You can do this. Really, there's many pastors that will just preach to people and tell them how awesome they are and how they have everything that they need, that they're worthy, they're worth it, and all you have to do is put your mind to it, and you can do anything. But that's not what you find right here. That's not what you find right here in the Scriptures. I want you to remind yourself of young Timothy. Remind yourself of who he was. Ask yourself, was Timothy enough? Left to himself, he was a coward. He was afraid of the men and the women in his church. He was ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He was ready to deny his Savior. He was ashamed of Paul's chains. He didn't want to share in his imprisonment. And he was not willing to be faithful to Christ. This is who Timothy was. Was he enough? No, he's not enough. We're not enough. He was a weak sinner like you and me. He was one in need of Jesus Christ. This idea that you are enough, it's a lie from Satan. So that we would, we would stand apart from God. We wouldn't be in desperate need of God. You know, if Timothy would have believed that he could just do it. That he had what it's, whatever it took. That he could do it on his own. That all he had to do was pull up his bootstrap, bootstraps and press on. What would have happened? He would have failed miserably. No, Paul is telling Timothy, don't do that. Don't lean on you. You, Timothy, in and of yourself, you're weak. But the other thing is, is as we hear weakness, it could be offensive to us. And even to Timothy, if, if Paul was to tell him, you are weak, it could be offensive to him. But we know from Scripture, weakness, from our perspective, is a good thing. It's a good thing when we come to realize that we are not strong without Christ. Why? Because it's the weak who need Christ. It's the humble who will cling to Christ. It's the lowly on the earth who will depend on Christ, who are desperate for Christ. 
Paul knew this truth. He himself knew that he was not able. He knew that he was not enough. He knew in and of himself he was not strong. He knew that he could not do it in himself. That he was not enough. In fact, Paul knew the exact opposite was true of himself. That is, that when he acknowledged his weakness, when he acknowledged his infirmities, when he acknowledged how weak he was, he knew then and only then that he could be truly strong. And this is what 2 Corinthians 12 teaches us. There you see Paul, he receives a thorn in his flesh and he, he cries out to God to take that away. But, God, but Christ's response to him in, in verse 9 there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is, My grace is sufficient for you. And listen closely to the words of the Lord. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so what's Paul's response to this? Therefore I will boast more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He goes on further saying, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And remember the words of Christ this morning. He said of his children in John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, this morning God desires the weak. He desires the humble. He desires those who need him who will come to Him in need. And when you realize our great weakness, when we're humbled before the Lord, when we're desperate for the Lord, it is then that the Lord is powerful in our life. God desires to use the weak in this world. So Paul says to Timothy, this isn't about you. It's not that you can do this on your own strength. You need the strength from God. And this strength, he says, it's found in grace. Grace is our great empowerment as believers. It is the unmerited favor of God. And this grace, it comes through the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. So Timothy was weak, but God's grace... It saves the weak. His grace empowers the weak. It makes the weak strong in Christ. Paul moves right from telling him to be strengthened in Christ to do the work of a disciple maker. You know, God doesn't strengthen us for nothing. God doesn't take the weak, give them power for no reason. Every time God empowers us, He's empowering us for His work. For His work, for His kingdom, for His glory, for His church. He tells Timothy to be strong in the Lord and then get to work. He tells him that in verse 2, to take this gospel message that has been entrusted to young Timothy, to take that message and entrust it or deposit this to other faithful men. And in the context, he's talking about faithful elders there in the church. He's to entrust this gospel, he's in, entrust this church to other faithful men. Men of character, men who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy and, and Titus. Men who, Paul says right here, will learn this gospel and then be able to teach others. 
But you know, as we see this is written to a minister, it also is true of every single one of us. If we have this gospel, if we have this good news, if we've learned this truth, we should be teaching it to others. We ourselves should be making disciples. If you are young in the faith, you should find someone more mature in the faith. If you are more mature in the faith, you should find someone even more mature in the faith to teach you. And if you are a mature one in the faith, I urge you this morning, please, teach the younger in the faith. Find others who need this truth and come alongside them. Teach them. Disciple them. You know, we tend to Think about the Great Commission in one way. Ben talked about the Great Commission this morning. We tend to think of it as just taking the good news, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. But if we listen closely to Jesus' words, it didn't stop there. That's not only what he said. He said there in Matthew 28, 18, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, he goes further and says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he said, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so often we think of the Great Commission, we think of it as just people getting saved. And really that could be our focus. We just want to, we want people, we want to see the salvations, we want to see the baptisms, and that can become our complete focus. It's the thing we can brag about, right? It's tangible. But God's called us to much more than that. And I admit as a pastor, and Ben can probably speak to this too, we want to see the salvations. We want to see people saved. But we have to always remember we've been called to so much more. We've been called to make disciples. We've been called to teach them all that Christ has commanded. The job starts at salvation. The Great Commission is not only taking the gospel, but as a church, it's teaching the younger in the faith all that Christ has commanded of us. Yes, our call is to give the good news to the world. But the work does not stop there. We have been called to be disciple makers. For Timothy, if he was to be faithful in this task, if he was to find these faithful men, if he was to raise them up to the point of eldership in his church, he would face opposition for it. And that's exactly why Paul says in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This was his call to Timothy. So this morning, if you are a Christian, you have been enlisted in God's army. And just like a soldier in the military, it's not necessarily always fun. It takes discipline. It takes focus. And if you are a devoted, good soldier, you'll suffer on the battlefield. 
Have you ever heard of a good soldier who would go into battle and not suffer for it? No. The courageous soldier, the soldier who cares about what his enlisting officer has said, is the bold, the brave, the, the soldier that's willing to lay down his life for others. It would be a cowardly, worthless soldier who is unwilling to suffer on the battlefield. So what's Paul saying here? The same is, the same call applies to the Christian. When we are disciplined, when we are focused for Christ and His work, when we are willing to do anything that our commanding officer, Jesus Christ, has told us, when we go into the battlefield, we will suffer for it. So what's this battlefield of the Christian life? John MacArthur states that it's really threefold. It's against the evil world, the system of sin that's all around us. It's the believer's own sinful nature. And it's Satan himself. For Timothy, right here in the context, his battle was against the world around him, those false teachers there in the church, that worldly culture where the rising persecution against Christians was coming. And in this battle, Timothy was to be a good soldier. And Paul takes this illustration even further there in verse 4. He says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So a good soldier, he's single-minded. He's focused on the one who enlisted him. He can't be bogged down by civilian pursuits. He must be focused on what his commanding officer has asked of him. And if he was entangled in those civilian pursuits, we would not be able to call him a good soldier. And really that word entangled, the idea is that he wouldn't be able to fight. He wouldn't be able to go to battle. He would be so entangled. So what's God saying to the Christian in this verse? The call from this verse is to be a soldier for Christ Jesus. And as a soldier, are you focused on doing what the commanding officer has asked of you? And your commanding officer is Christ Jesus. Jesus. And I want you to think about, think about the earthly soldier this morning. Think about the way they devote their lives to this worldly system. They have an officer over him. He's like you and me. He's not a perfect man. He's a sinner like you and me. And they devote themselves to him. They're willing to say, yes, sir. They're willing to do whatever it takes to please their enlisting officer. How much more as Christians... Should we, when our commanding officer is the Lord of glory? When our commanding officer is the one who has the name above all names? Shouldn't we be able and shouldn't we be willing to go through any fight, any battle, any trial, any struggle for our enlisting officer? Look at the soldier that you would consider a good soldier. He is willing to listen. He is willing to do what it takes for his enlisting officer. 
And that's what God has called us. How much more should we, since our enlisting officer is the greatest of all, Jesus Christ? So the question for you this morning is, is your aim in life to please the one who enlisted you? Is this your greatest desire in life to hear from your Lord, well done, good and faithful servant? This should be our heart's desire as believers. And I'm telling you this morning, if it is not, it's time to examine your life. You should desire to hear from your Lord, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And if not, I have some questions for you. Maybe you're too focused on the world around you. Maybe you've become entangled in civilian pursuits. Maybe you're not focused on the Word of God, the commands of God, the mission of God. Maybe you are in love with this world around you. There's a saying, and I believe it to be true, that you can be so earthly-minded that you're no heavenly good. And in our day, I believe this is so true of so many that call themselves Christian. They claim to be His. They claim to be saved by His grace, bought by the blood of Christ, strengthened in Him. But then they are unwilling, when push comes to shove, to do anything for the Lord. They are so entangled in the world that they are useless to the kingdom of God. They show with their lives that they live what their heart's desire is, that they care far more about the things of this world than their Savior. And I have to ask you this morning, is this you? Are you entangled in the world? Does your life revolve around you? Does it revolve around your will, your entertainment, your comfort, your kingdom? Are you working so hard every day, day in and day out, to build your own world, your own kingdom? Have you devoted yourself to the pursuit of vanity under the sun? Or is your aim to please the one who enlisted you? I promise you, as Tammy spoke on this morning, there is no greater treasure in this life than Jesus Christ. Than living for Christ. Than receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. Paul now gives Timothy two more illustrations to explain this point to Timothy. One being an athlete and the other a farmer. A farmer. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The athletes in Paul's day, they would have devoted themselves to the sport. And really, this is true in our day. They were absolutely, they still are devoted to the sport. And not only that, they would have to know the rules of the game. And we know this, right? Anyone who cheats, they, they suffer shame. They don't win the race. They don't win the competition. And you can't just make up your own rules if you're a competitor. You have to follow the rules within the sport 
that you are competing. The only way to win is to train hard and to compete according to the world, according to the rules. In order to win the victory. So the same is true of the Christian. For the minister, and not only to the minister, but all who call themselves Christians, this Christian life is a race to be run. Paul speaks later on in this, this book that we will receive a crown of righteousness that is laid up for all those who finish the race. And I'm going to tell you this morning, it takes discipline. It takes actual spiritual discipline in your life. What we see from the text this morning is that Christ is strengthening you. Christ is enabling you. Christ is working within you. It's God who saves. It is God who is keeping you. It is God who will keep you to the end. But what we see from Scripture is this is never a reason to say, I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm just going to do nothing in this Christian walk. That's not the call. What we see over and over again is, yes, all those things are true of God. He is the one working in your life, but He has called you to discipline. He has called you to train in godliness. He is calling you to be an active Christian to work out this faith. So what's that look like for us? Well, prayer. You know, you're not going to pray unless you intend to. You need to intend to pray every single day. Reading your Bible, it's just not going to miraculously open up and read itself to you. God wants you to open that book and see what He has said. He's literally written 66 books to His children. Could you imagine if your wife wrote you a letter? I'm saying this from a man's perspective because we're the ones likely to do it. She writes you this love letter and you never open it. That's what Christians are like in this day. God's written us 66 love letters, a book that displays His great and amazing love for sinners. And we don't even open it. Another way is to come to church every single Lord's Day. And if you're able, every time it's open, hear the preaching of His words. Participate in the ordinance of the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Historically, the Christian faith has called these the means of grace. This is how God grows His people, through the means of grace. They are important because God seeks to strengthen our faith through them. And you know, so many Christians are struggling simply because they forsake what God has given to strengthen us. They just think that it's just going to happen to them. But God has asked us to be active. God has asked us to train. God has asked us to be disciplined. To be like a soldier. To be like one who is running a race like an athlete. And this morning, if you want to finish this race, if you want to endure to the end, you need to be in the race. And you need to train by the means that God has given you.
through prayer, through His Word, and through His local church. One other thing this verse speaks of is we're to train according to His rules. The athlete cannot win if he breaks the rules. He can't win if he breaks the rules. So how does this apply to our life? Well, we're not just doing what feels good as Christians. As ministers, we're not in reinventing church. We're looking at his word and we're doing what he has said. We're running the race according to his rules. Many are trying to run, but they won't finish well because they ignore the rule book. And I just think about that. If you caught a football and you ran the other way and you went to the wrong end zone, you're not going to win if you don't follow the rules. If you were getting ready to pass a baton and you kept it instead, you're not going to win the relay. You're not going to win if you break the rules. And God has given us His clear set of rules in His Word and He's asked us to run the race according to what He has said. And I must say, how foolish are we? If you saw the athlete doing that, what do we all do? You see him running the wrong way, you see him breaking the rules, we all, we all yell it out. Turn around. The other way. But so many think that they can just do this Christian life their own way. They can ignore what God has said in His Word. They can ignore His clear given instructions to how we are to persevere in this faith. As a believer, you're not just searching around in the dark or just doing whatever you want. You won't endure that way. The idea is obedience to the Word of God. I have to move quickly here to get through this stuff. You know, one more thing I want to say about keeping the rules. Really, in a nutshell, it's a call to obedience in our life. You know, really, obedience has become very much despised in our day. And just calling for obedience, you will be called a legalist. People really want their cake and they want to eat it too. They want to live in their sin. They want to wallow in it. They don't want to have to repent. They, they don't want to have to be obedient. They just want their sin. And anyone who says, no, we must live according to what God has said, that label, legalist, is going to come out. If you say people need to be obedient, you're going to be called a Pharisee. Often. Well, nobody's talking about earning our salvation. That only comes through Christ and Christ alone. But just like you as a parent would expect your children to listen to you and do what you've asked, God asks us, his children, to do what he has asked. And out of love for him, out of love for all that he has done, not earning our way to heaven, we listen and we obey. We run the race according to the rules. Let's look at that last illustration. In verse 6, it speaks of a hard-working farmer. In the KJV, it says husbandman, which really just means farmer. And it says there of that farmer, he ought to have, the, if he's a hard-working farmer, he ought to have first share of the crops. 
Well, a farmer in Paul's day, he would have literally worked his fingers to the bone. He would have worked incredibly long hours, all in hopes to reap a harvest, that this hard work would pay off, that he would reap what he had sown. If you apply this to the Christian life, it's a call for us not to be lazy. It's a call for us to not think that we can't put effort in this and just grow. God is asking us that, that we would be involved in this process. That if we think we can have zero input, it's not going to go well for us. The idea is, from the farmer, is to be diligent. It's to be focused. It's to sow into this Christian life. And in due time, we will reap a harvest from it. You know, prayer is not easy in this life. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to start worrying about your day. It's easy to start worrying about every little thing that we've got to do. And the next thing we know, we're not praying anymore. Reading our Bible can be the same way. Especially if you read it on your phone. Notifi notification comes up. You're, you're automatically distracted. Even this Bible, someone comes in, turns the TV on, even your paper Bible. It can be easy in this life to become distracted. Know this this morning. We all know this. Prayer, Bible reading, voluntary things that we must do out of discipline are always difficult in this life. Even coming to church is difficult for so many. While they know they have to go to their job in order to live, they think it's no issue if I can't get myself to church. Oftentimes, doing the things that God has called us to do is not easy. It takes discipline in our life. To our flesh, these things can be a mighty struggle. What's really easy for us? Entertainment. Watching TV. Going on vacation. Spending time with the people that we love. We can often be so distracted in this life that we lose focus on what God wants us to do. Those all can be okay things. Some can be even great things. But we should never do these things and neglect God. So the call from verse 6 is that you need to have diligence towards God. You need to work hard. You need to create a habit in your life. You need, to, you need to resolve to do that habit every single day of your life. You need to beg God to help you. God, give me a thirst for your word. Give me a thirst for prayer. Teach me to love, to speak to you, and to read your word. You need to be in his body. You need to be in his word, and you need to be in prayer to him. In verse 7, Paul tells Timothy to think over these things and that he knows that the Lord will give him understanding. That is, that he's to reflect them. He's to ponder on them. That these, my, the meanings of these, these illustrations might not come to his mind right away. But there is a pro, there's a promise from this scripture right here. That when we do that, when we do that discipline, when we go to his word, when we, we look at his word, when we, we want to ponder on his word, we want to take it in. It says here that God will give us 
the understanding of it. If you are his child, he's going to illumine his word to you through the Holy Spirit. But that's not going to happen unless you open your Bible. That's not going to happen unless you go to him in prayer. And just like Paul said to Timothy, we need to think about these things. So I want to finish with this. The questions for this morning is this. Are we in this fight that's laid out here? Are we running this race? Are we working this ground? Are we pondering the things of God? Are we in Christ? Are we empowered by His grace? Are we strengthened by His grace? Is He giving you understanding of His Word? Is this book like a different language to you? Or is God opening up the things of the Scripture? If not, like us all, you need what's found there in verse 1. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is truly our only hope in life and death. It's the grace that God has shown towards sinners, you and me. It means His unmerited favor. He showed us this grace by sending His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve. He sent His Son to save sinners, to save the weak, to save the needy. This morning the question is, is this you? Are you one who is dependent on His grace? If not, please, come to Him this morning. Come to Him. Surrender all to Him. And I want you to know something about this wondrous grace. The Scriptures teach it has a powerful effect in our life. It transforms our lives. Titus 2.11 says, For grace, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You need this grace of God. Please, receive it this morning. Come to Him and live. Let's pray.